Hey, it's Jordan. I am delighted to be joined by Rachel Ventura. Uh, you are running in Illinois, uh, the 11th district for Congress. Uh, and boy, Illinois. Uh, excuse me, here's my New York. Illinois. No S. Um, I got reprimanded. Uh, yeah, I didn't actually. want to correct you. Yeah, that's okay. Illinois, um, which I've been to Chicago and other parts of the state. Uh, not exactly uh, the most clean democracy, I would say. A lot of corruption, but uh, you're running on a bold, progressive uh, platform, which we'll get into. I wanted to start, though, because you have an interesting story. Um, you kind of worked inside the belly of the beast of the healthcare industry and yep. then kind of got out of that. Can you, can you kind of talk about your backstory? Yeah, so I went to school and got a math degree and became an actuary or was working towards passing the exam. So I was technically an actual analyst, and I uh, initially worked for health insurance, a health insurance company, and we set the premiums and costs for managed care uh, type program uh, uh, products. And so what I would look at is what were doctors charging in different zip codes, what were insurance charging, uh, uh, what was hospitals charging, what were different insurance rates uh, being applied there, what was the rates of heart attacks or C-sections or, you know, and basically cost analysis. And then, you know, hospitals charge different things depending on how many people go to their facility or don't go to their facility. So if you have a hospital that's 30 minutes out and uh, maybe it's a high rate of heart attacks, maybe people aren't willing to drive 30 minutes out. So a hospital nearby might charge a higher premium or higher rate because more people will go to that hospital versus a further one out. So there's, you know, price fixing all over the industry. And so the insurance companies obviously don't want to get caught up. Uh, in some of that and so they do set some pricing uh, that that's what decides whether something's in the network or not whether your doctor is in the network or not is based on his cost um, I left that and went to life insurance and they did a lot of the same type of things uh, we looked at products that we would lose money on if a lot of people died under these circumstances during this time what the stock market was at or where our invested dollars were at what would be the loss to the company and if there was a loss in that product then we would end the product we'd upgrade people or move them off those products uh, so that the companies never lost money uh, but it also meant that people weren't always getting the best care the best access um, the best life insurance uh, premiums being paid back on universal products um, so those are just some of the examples I walked away from but as a military spouse uh, for 10 years, I was passed for 10 years, and uh, during that time, my family was covered under TRICARE. My children are still covered under TRICARE. Uh, this is the best universal single-payer system we have in America today. Uh, millions of Americans are on it, and it does what the improved Medicare for All bill you know, is, entitled, is intended to do, and that is to, you know, you pay a amount out of your paycheck as a payroll tax and then that individual who's on the on basically TRICARE gets access to doctors and nurses and hospitals um, if they're in a facility of a base they need to first go to the base otherwise they can choose their private uh, physician so when I had my twins I had a high-risk pregnancy, lots of ultrasounds, I had complications in the hospital, spent four days, had two blood transfusions, and all I paid for my two girls was $18 per child for an elected test that we did after they were born. Wow. So we already have this system. The government already sets prices across the board for doctors and hospitals and clinics and pharmaceuticals. 
and then people pay in a small amount and everybody has access to services. It's not based on how sick you are. It's not based on, it's purely a percentage of how much you get paid. So I know that we have the ability in this country to do it because we're already doing it. And I think if more Americans uh, knew that we were doing that, then there would be even bigger rush to have Medicare for all improved. So it's not insurance like it is today, but a healthcare system. What's interesting to me, and there was an interview on CNN yesterday, I hope you didn't have to watch it because it was painful, but basically uh, a lot of these corporate media outlets, obviously Democrats, they talk like private health insurance is this beloved thing in America, and people just don't want to lose their private health insurance, but it seems like you kind of saw being inside as an actuary uh, plenty of people who probably couldn't afford it or were kicked off. Uh, can you yep. kind of talk about some of the things you saw uh, as far as it's not that people were dying for private health insurance, it's that, uh, you know, they like their doctors and things like that. Right. Well, I mean, that's what it comes down to. When you go to a doctor, you're going on whatever you're, most of the time, what is in the network, okay? Mm -hmm. You're not choosing like, oh, the guy down the street's a doctor, he's really nice, I'm gonna go see him. No, you're calling your insurance company first and saying, well, who's in my network, who can I afford? And the networks are all designed around the cost analysis that the actuaries do, whether or not that group of doctors should be in the network or not in the network. If they charge over the, the allotted amount and they're unwilling to take what the insurance or for TRICARE, for example, what the government has placed that they said that they will pay. For the government then, the pay cannot be given to the individual. The doctor has to accept that that is the government rate and they've accepted to take that rate and that's it. Insurance companies, on the other hand, though, if if the doctor charges 300 for a visit and the insurance company says, well, we'll pay 100 because that's what our analysis of the zip code is, then the $200 does get passed on to the individual. So, yeah, there's lots of times when people then stop going to the doctor, even for healthy checkups, because they're like, well, I don't want to go to the doctor and pay $300 or $200 when there's nothing wrong with me. But those important checkups can help prevent future illnesses and catch things that you know, whether you've got high blood pressure or whatever. I mean, you have lots of examples of that. So those are problems where we can see that people are profiting off the sickness of others, not the intention of getting them well and keeping them out. Initially, that's one reason insurance is actually included wellness checks, was it was to keep long-term high, high costs down. Because if you think of what insurance is, it's to insure against, you know, catastrophic events in a sense. So. Insurance doesn't work when it comes to healthcare, right? Because we need to take care of ourselves on a daily basis. There's always going to be something that's happening um, with your body. With life insurance, what you're insuring is that you have more years than not, right? We know the death is going to come, but the insurance is basically saying, well, you you pay a higher amount if you're gonna if it looks like you're at higher risk of dying, you pay a lower amount if you're not. That's why babies are the cheapest thing to insure, because they have ideally the best health right after birth. Mm -hmm. um, so these are examples, though, of how we've gone from actually insuring someone for something horrible like a heart attack to needing everyday care. Uh, but when we start charging extra, extra, extra for all these different things because we don't actually have a healthcare system, we have an insurance system, uh, that's when we get ourselves in this sticky situation. It puts the onus on small businesses to have some type of health care package for their employees or forces them to do freelance work, you know, 1099 type work. Yeah. That's not a booming economy. That's not helping across the board with our economic development. I mean, there's lots of people who have great ideas that they want to go off and create a business and they can't because 
they can't insure in, uh, for the insurance packages. Right. That's a problem. And uh, from this kind of warp system, you became, I think, a vet veterinary assistant, and then you did some work in the like forest in the forest. And can you kind of talk about uh, your evolution? Yeah, so I left, uh, I was living in LA working for an insurance company, moved into marketing um, when I wanted to take a step out of being an actuary. And I was also uh, volunteering at the Wildlife Way Station, which is a uh, agency that takes in exotic animals that people should not probably have, like lions and tigers. And mm. doing work with them as a volunteer, I was like, you know what, I really want to work with animals and <laughs> get back to uh, feeling good about the work that I'm putting into the world. And so I went back to school to get a biology degree so I could become a veterinarian. As I was working um, as a pet nurse out in Virginia Beach, I I work for a very large corporation. I'm not talking about small mom and pop veterinarian places, but um, a large corporation. And their big thing was, well, you need to do all these extra tests. Not, not all of them were necessary for procedures, but it was because there was dollar amounts. How can we get one more dollar amount on it? Well, did you do this extra test? Well, no, that's not really needed for this procedure. Oh, well, but we could charge this extra money here. And that was not the type of veterinarian I wanted to be. Um, at that time, I married a military man, and we moved to Georgia. And instead of working at a veterinarian hospital, I uh, took a job with the Georgia State Parks as a naturalist. Mm. And I have to say that was one of the best jobs I've ever had. I got to educate people on the land. I got to run programming. I got to work with the endangered gopher tortoise uh, to try and track them and, and count their numbers. Uh, I mean, it was just really good stuff for my heart for getting back to protecting our planet and doing what's right for people. So let's fast forward. You're uh, in Illinois. Obviously, a lot of people think of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio is the Rust Belt, but like Illinois is in there. It just has long been, it's not a swing state, but deindustrialization de has definitely hit Illinois. Uh, obviously, Chicago is kind of your classic haves and haves not, have nots. Um, what kind of inspired you to run? Uh, who are you running against? I know you're for Medicare for All, but what are some of the other things uh, you're, you're proposing and uh, anything else about your campaign? Yeah, so I moved back in 2016, and I was uh, shocked at the state of my city. When I left here after college, uh, 2002, uh, the city was booming. Uh, they had put a lot of work into beautifying the town, and so I came back. I saw which, uh, which city? I live in Joliet, Illinois. Okay. I saw broken uh, broken street signs, trash everywhere. Uh, the roads were all tore up. You know, things that we're seeing across America. Basically, the deinvestation of uh, uh, investing in our communities and so I was complaining to my dad about it and he said why don't you do something and run for government and I was like well that doesn't seem like a great idea while I'm going through a divorce dad and um, but then it really stuck with me and I was like you know I do have some good ideas and we've got a lot of amazing assets here in Joliet and I said you know if we brought tourism here that would really help you know breathe new life into our town and so I initially ran on a platform of you know Doing, bringing tourism here, but also just beautifying everything that we had and, and giving value back. Uh, when I started knocking doors, I learned so much more about the problems uh, that were affecting everyday people. Um, and it went so much further than just our city council not investing in our town. There were so many other issues. I, I got a 
fast lesson in politics in Illinois. <laughs> Put it that way. Um, I did not run with support of any of it was a nonpartisan election. But as a Democrat, I didn't uh, have any support there. I was a newcomer. People didn't know who I was. So initially I thought, OK, they're suspect to who I am. That's OK. I'll prove myself and, and do this race. And I had a very favorable showing, even though I did not win. And you, were, I, you were running for Congress or? I was running for city council. OK. At lunch. And uh, and so after that election ended, uh, there was a spot on the, the county board. And so I ran for that. And I had expected the party to support me, uh, not because I'm just a Democrat, but because I went to them and said, hey, here's my platform. This is what I think. Uh, I'm a hardworking candidate. I've got some great ideas. Uh, and I was told, well, it's not really your time. Somebody else has been selected for this position. Yep. And that was shocking to me because I thought, well, I thought that primaries were to put the best candidate forward. So don't you want candidates running in a primary? Um, and so, again, those lessons I was learning, you know, what it meant in, in Illinois politics. And so I ran anyway, even though lots of people told me, don't run, don't run. Um, I ran because it was the right thing to do, that we had problems here. And I knocked, we knocked 10,000 doors. We got the message out about some of the problems that we have. And we have solved those problems in the last eight months since I've been on the board. Now, there's still plenty of work to be done. And I still continue to do those things as I'm running for Congress now. But much like my county board race, uh, when I started going to party establishments and saying, hey, I'm thinking about running this race. What do you think? People are like, oh, why would you primary an incumbent? That's isn't he deserving of that role? And my answer to that is, well, isn't the, the taxpayers supposed to be the ones deciding who's deserving that role? And if when do they do that, if not in a primary? Mm -hmm. So I do think that the party has shifted. And I think that the things that I'm running on now are crucial and urgent. And we need a leader who has a strong voice to bring that forth. But also there's a lot of healing that needs to happen in America. And we need to start off with honesty, decency, bring integrity to um, you know, every position in our government from the top down uh, so that we can be better leaders and, and more compasses for those who need that. Mm -hmm. um, as for the other platforms I'm running on, so Green New Deal is definitely a cornerstone because it affects not just climate change, which is, as you probably are aware of, very urgent right now. We have 12 years by the latest IPCC report to do something before it becomes un, uh, irreversible, but also the wealth inequalities in our country. Um, so putting America's back to work, much like FDR did with the New Deal after the Great Depression, uh, we need to invest in our communities and people again. We need living wage, union paid jobs. And when I say living wage, what I mean by that is it needs, I mean, we can start with $15 minimum wage, but it needs to be indexed into with inflation. So I don't like to say minimum wage as much as I like to say living wage, because when you just talk about the minimum wage, you ignore the cost aspects of housing and food and all those things. When you talk about a living wage, you have to have that comparison of well, what does it cost to live? And so the, it's very important to have that index to, with inflation. Otherwise, we'll have the same argument in another 10 years from now. Right. Um, so the Green New Deal also affects bringing emissions down to zero, uh, cleaning up. Our, our, we have a lot of pollutants that we need to take care of. We, we need clean water. We need clean air. Uh, 
we also need businesses to invest in these things. So this is a way to put money back into the wealth of small business owners, everyday Americans, uh, retrain people who maybe work in oil refineries now to move into carbon farms or wind farms or solar farms. Uh, that's what we need to do right now and invest back in. So that's a real cornerstone of our campaign. We talked about Medicare for all, uh, but there's a lot of other smaller I'd say smaller issues, but maybe less talked about issues uh, that affect lots, millions of Americans. Things like uh, the our um, criminal justice reform, immigration reform. I'd like to see that our immigration is actually separated into two separate policies: one for people who are coming here for uh, work or you know optional reasons to come here. That's what I would consider true immigration, and then a second policy for asylum seekers and refugees. And as climate change continues to affect our planet, we're going to see more than three countries uh, need help. And we don't know all the areas that are going to necessarily need help, even though scientists have projected that. We don't know the first is going to be hit, how hard they're going to be hit, things like that. So we need to have a policy that allows for decency and treating people with dignity. And that means investing money into um, you know, currently our immigration courts so that we can get people through a process without locking them in cages, then that's something that we need to look at investing. And then also, what does it mean to be an immigrant within our own country? And I don't mean because I came from some, another country, but the idea of immigration is going to change when we have people fleeing the coastlines, coming up from the south because it's hot. Illinois is right in the middle state. And then right now we have access to large bodies of clean, fresh water. Um, so what does that mean for the rest of the country if they start immigrating to Illinois? How are we going to handle that? Mm -hmm. I would definitely hope that we would not put people in cages here at our Illinois borders. But these are things that we should be thinking about for the future to make sure that we have forward progress, but also that we are keeping an eye on what it means for our humanity and how mm -hmm. we treat one another. And uh, let's give a little behind the scenes because uh, you're a progressive primary challenger. Who are you running against? It seems like the party is probably very much against you. Uh, uh, I assume you're not taking, uh, you know, corporate money uh, as part of your. So who are you running against? Uh, what has and has he not, uh, he or she, uh, done? And why do they need to be replaced? So I'm running against Bill Foster. Uh, he's been in office for about nine and a half years right now. And uh, he runs as a scientist, but yet has not done anything to affect climate change. But every election cycle, he reminds us that he is a scientist. So I would expect him to be the forefront leader of the Green New Deal. And he has he has decided not to sign on to it at this point. Uh, he also is not in favor of Medicare for all. He has uh, publicly and in letters sent out information saying that he is supporting uh, the Affordable Care Act and he wants to strengthen that. That is a system that is it was a stepping stone, but it is no longer working. When 39 million Americans are underinsured or uninsured, that's not a system that's working. Um, nor are the premiums affordable or the co-pays for many Americans. Um, there are some other things that we can kind of get into, but I guess at the end of the day, I would say that I present myself as a better candidate because I have a better platform of how we're going to affect Americans today. I don't think Bill has been the voice uh, in the last few years that we need. Uh, he did an adequate job in his early years, but as the party shifts, we need to take on these urgent issues and sitting back and just putting some research dollars in science is not doing it. We, we know the research, we know the science. We need the political will to start moving forward on the solutions. And to be honest, we're a little bit behind the eight ball on this. 
And are you seeing more of an opening uh, and more interest in progressive candidates and progressive uh, policies uh, in Joliet and Illinois? Because obviously, I mean, your J.B. Pritzker was a billionaire who just bought the governorship there in right. Illinois. Uh, so is are you seeing uh, an appetite for capital P progressive? Because when I think Illinois, you kind of think establishment, Democrat, stronghold. Yeah. So um, one of the things when I'm at doors is, you know, I don't push the big progressive thing. I push the common sense thing. Okay. Right. I don't want to be a label. I don't want to be, you know, an icon for this certain thing. I want our government to work for everyone. And to do that, we have to talk about real solutions. And so instead of focusing on right, left or middle, let's focus on what helps us today. What's the common sense thing to do? If it's broken, we need to move away from those systems and, and create a system that works for everybody. Um, that resonates with people because, you know, I'm not trying to convert them to something. I just want them to understand that I'm here for them and I'm willing to do what's right. Uh, and when we knocked doors, obviously I was not supported by um, the party establishment in my last race, but I was the top vote getter by 11% over the other Democrat. There was two seats and 8% um, over the Republican. So for someone who raised very little money, I raised $16,000 in my county board race. Um, I was easily outspent by two, three times that. Uh, it really comes down to connecting with people, listening to them and saying, okay, I hear you. I hear what your needs are. Surprisingly, my needs are not that much different. So let's uh, work on this together. And I think that's a government that people want. Leave the labels at the door and let's get down to the hard work. And lastly, if elected and uh, Nancy Pelosi is continuing, if she's the speaker still, is uh, continuing to call it the Green New Dream and kind of dismiss Medicare for all, uh, you know, seems like AOC and these other Congresswomen uh, are trying to kind of thread the needle be, you know, push back a little bit, but not too much. Uh, are you prepared to be uh, grouped? I don't want to say with the squad, but uh, kind of put on a little uh, deserted island uh, by the Democratic establishment. Um, and, you know, as, as best as you can, uh, fight back. Yeah, I think it's time that instead of having those four very strong women be the exception to the rule, that they become the beginning pattern of that rule. And races like mine will have that next step in the pattern. So that, you know, I'm going up with someone who's got $3 million and has been entrenched in our politics for a long time. Uh, I think they've lost sight of what the Americans in our district are saying today that they need. And one of the things that the squad does is they're listening to their constituent and they're being a voice for them. That needs to be the pattern so that when I win this race, the next race makes it a little bit easier for the next person to come in and say, you know what, I'm also not taking corporate PAC dollars because I'm not going to listen to the few, but I'm going to listen to the many because that's what's important in our government. And so if that's what it takes, if they got to put me in that category, then so be it. But I'm willing to work with all allies to fix our government regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. Again, this is a, does not have to be a left, right, center thing. This just needs to be fixing the problems and moving forward. And uh, where can people find out more, support you if they want? Uh, where do people go? My website is rachelfventura.com, or you can go to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and look for Elect Ventura. Great. And we're going to be doing a lot more of these uh, for the audience. So if you're a candidate that wants to get on with us, uh, info at statuscoup.com. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as possible. We, we're kind of inundated with emails, but uh, we definitely want to give progressives a voice. And uh, yeah, keep in touch so we can follow up uh, later in the campaign. Thank you. Okay. 
Hope you enjoyed that last video. Hop on over to statusquo.com where you can sign up for our email list and become a member for as low as five to ten dollars a month. Membership is how we grow. That's statusquo.com slash join. And remember, join our email list so we can grow the revolution with you.